Amen. I, I bring you greetings from Nashville, Tennessee, the music city, and uh, the Koinonia Church, the church I'm blessed to be able to pastor there. Um, but I know that Mississippi knows good music too. Amen. The land of Bo Diddley and B.B. King and Sam Cooke and all of that. Praise the Lord. And also the land of good food. I thank the Lord. I've never met a person from Mississippi that couldn't cook. Amen. And so I'm grateful. I'm grateful. So grateful to be in our midst today. Also uh, bring you greetings uh, and just, just thank the Lord for uh, Pastor McGowan and his faithful ministry here. Uh, he is a pioneer within uh, the PCA, and, uh, and I'm grateful to know him. He's just been a brother, a true brother in the Lord, a faithful shepherd. Thank the Lord for the shepherding team here at Redeemer. Also to the Taylor family who uh, just so graciously uh, hosted me and, and have been kind to me since our, uh, over the past uh, several hours since we've been here in, uh, in Jackson. Well, let's, uh, there is a word from the Lord. And I'm going to just uh, direct our attention to Mark chapter 4 on this morning. Mark chapter 4. We'll read God's word together. Mark chapter 4. Read the scriptures and then we'll just breathe a word of prayer. This is God's word. <clears throat> and he said, the kingdom of God is as if a man should scatter seed on the ground. He sleeps and rises night and day, and the seed sprouts and grows he knows not how. The earth produces by itself first the blade, then the ear, then the full grain in the ear. But when the grain is ripe, at once he puts in the sickle because the harvest has come. Father, we are so grateful for the opportunity we have now to share in your word. We pray, God, that you, by your grace and by your spirit, O oh God, would prepare our hearts, our minds to receive your mercies, your kindness, O oh Lord. Work within us, O oh God, in a powerful way. Apart from you, we can do nothing. But with you, Lord, all things are possible. We pray, O oh God, that you would work powerfully in our midst today, and we will ever give you the praise in Jesus' mighty name. And all of God's people said, amen, amen. This morning, by God's grace, we want to consider together a gospel to grow up on, a gospel to grow up on, a gospel to grow up on. I'm going to begin with the, with the context of this passage, the context of this passage. It's been rightly said that if you take a text out of its context, all you're left with is a con. Amen. And so we don't want a con this morning. Amen. We want the truth this morning. And so we're going we're gonna to look at the context of this passage, this particular good news to these particular people, and find out what the Lord would have to say to us. One sweltering July night in A.D. 64, a fire broke out in the merchant district of the city of Rome. The fire spread uncontrollably burning for six days and seven nights, killing hundreds, leaving thousands homeless, and eventually consuming nearly three quarters of the city. However, the blaze mysteriously left the Emperor Nero's estates and land holdings completely unscathed. Soon, rumors began swirling that the Emperor himself may have started 
the fire to make way for a new palace. Some even said that they had seen him on the top of his palace playing his lyre as the flames devoured the city below. In order to deflect from these accusations and avoid further scandal, Nero looked for a political scapegoat. And so he decided to blame the fire on an obscure and relatively small religious sect situated in the empire known as Christians. The emperor ordered the arrest of a few Christian disciples who, under the pain of torture, named several other Christians until the entire populace was falsely uh, implicated and became targets for Rome's retribution. And as many Christians were being slandered and harassed and arrested and tortured and even put to death in brutal ways all across the city, Mark's gospel began to secretly circulate among them. Those who had heard the gospel before and know that Jesus is the mighty friend of sinners, when they began to read Mark's gospel, understood that Jesus is not only the friend of sinners, but he's also the friend of sufferers. Driven from within their homes into the lonely catacombs and dragged into the arena surrounded by wild beasts, the Christians in Rome heard about the Jesus who began his ministry being driven into the lonely wilderness and surrounded by wild beasts in Mark chapter 1. As the believers in Rome found themselves slandered and forsaken by family members and friends because of their witness for Christ, they heard about the Messiah who was also slandered by his family and the teachers of the law who called him crazy in Mark chapter 3. You see, there was no hardship that they could experience in Nero's Rome that Jesus did not personally understand. Yet as we enter Mark chapter 4, we realize that Jesus not only understands our problems, he's not only sympathizes and empathizes with our problems, he actually sends his power down into our situations to grow us up in the midst of problems. In the midst of problems. With the resources of the Roman Empire aimed against the fledgling church and their collective backs up against the wall, with no military, with no connections, with no idea how they would go on, they hear this parable of the growing seed. This parable that compares the kingdom to a seed that sprouts and grows, first the blade, then the ear, then the full grain in the ear. And there is a promise in this parable that in the midst of all the trouble and all the hardships and all the sufferings and all the issues that this world can bring, God is still at work. God is still at work growing us up. The gospel still has a way of producing its fruit in our lives and in the world and in the church in its proper time. And beloved, I'm so glad for a gospel like that. I'm so glad for a gospel that's not just good news when times are good. Amen, somebody. I'm glad for a gospel that's good news when times are incredibly hard. You see... The good news is not just that we won't have trouble, but the good news is that Jesus has got a way of giving us victory even in the midst of trouble. And that's why you can shout to God before the battle is over. 
Because you know that God is at work in the midst of the battle, in the midst of the storm. The Lord's power and presence and promises are at work for us and in us and through us. The Lord has got a way of preparing a table for us in the presence of our enemies. Through it all, God is still faithful to fulfill his promises in our life. And so when we see the growing seed being preached to suffering people, we know that King Jesus is our good shepherd, not just on the mountain, but also down in the valley. And I thank God for good news in bad times, because if it's the real gospel, it's got to be good news for the family weeping down at the graveside at Greenwood Cemetery. If it's the real gospel, it's got to be good news for folks sitting over at University of Mississippi Cancer Treatment Center. If it's the real gospel, it's got to be good news for folks gripped with chronic depression and anxiety. If it's the real gospel, it's got to be good news for folks who have suffered chronic losses and chronic dysfunction and, and chronic disappointments and chronic struggles and chronic issues. If it's the real gospel, it's got to work even when the situation doesn't look like it's changing. If it's the real gospel, it's got to be God's power for us unto salvation, not just apart from problems, but in the midst of problems. If it's the real gospel, and I'm so glad for the real gospel. I'm so glad for the real Jesus. I, I'm so glad for his power that's at work in our lives, growing us up into Christ's likeness in every situation, and especially in hard situations. And so by God's grace, I want to lift up on this morning, three reasons for hope in hard times. Three reasons for hope in hard times. Now, I don't normally do this, but I'm going to do it today in a good Presbyterian church. Turn to your neighbor and say, neighbor, there is hope in hard time. And I'm going to turn to your other name and say, neighbor, grow up. Amen. Praise the Lord. Praise the Lord. By God's grace on this morning, here, here are three reasons for hope in hard times. Hope that allows us to know that God can grow us up in every situation. In hard times, if you're taking notes, put this in on the point number one. In hard times, God grows us up mysteriously. In hard times, God grows us up mysteriously. Look at what it says here in our passage. And he said, the kingdom of God is as if a man should scatter seed on the ground. He sleeps and rises night and day and the seed sprouts and grows. Now listen to this last part. He knows not how. He knows not how. I want us to focus on that phrase. He knows not how. I'm grateful for the gospel. And he knows not how. You see, these words, he knows not how put us in the realm of intellectual humility. If I was to put on my philosophical head, I would call it epistemic humility. This means you don't know what you don't know. You see, before the days of microscopes and modern botany, farmers scattered seeds by faith, believing that life would still sprout and mature and go on, even though they didn't know how it was going to happen. And Mark's gospel was written in a context where people did not know how the power of God, the life of God, the church of God, the gospel of God were going to go on. 
They knew that they were there. They knew that, 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 that Nero was, 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 was hot on their tails, and they didn't know how they were going to make it. But the parable of the growing seed promises us that God's power is still at work even when we don't know how. God's power is not limited by what our eyes can see and what our minds can think and what our imaginations can conceive. You see, Westminster Confession of Faith, chapter 2, verse, uh, chapter 2, article 1, calls the one living and true infinite God in being and perfection and calls him incomprehensible. God is incomprehensible. That, that means that God's work is too vast, too deep, too wise for us to fully comprehend it. God is operating way above your pay grade. It, listen, listen, you playing chess, are you playing checkers, then God is playing 4D chess. It, listen, one song, one song puts it this way. One song said, listen here, while you're trying to figure it out, God's already worked it out. God's already worked it out. The incomprehensibility of God means, beloved, that we can never afford to give up hope based on what our eyes can see and based on what our minds can figure out because God is operating above our minds, above what we can see. God is operating far beyond what you can imagine or think. And so if you can't figure out a way to get out of this situation, don't worry, God has still got it covered. If you can't figure out how you're going to go on, don't worry. God has still got it well under control because the scriptures tell us, beloved, that the, it asks the question. It says, who has known the mind of God that he may instruct him? Who can tell God how to run his show? Come on, somebody. When we, listen, listen. When, when, you remember old Job thought he had a better idea than God. Old Job began, he started off well, but somewhere along the way, Job started thinking, man, I don't know what's going on with this situation here. I, I, I mean, Job lost his health, he lost his wealth, he lost, his, he lost members of his family, his children. He, he lost a lot of things, and, and, and he began to eventually began to question the plan of God. And, and then God showed up, and God asked him some series of questions. God asked him, where were you when I laid the foundation of the earth? Come on, somebody. Where were you when I laid the foundation of the earth? The implication is that, is that, listen here, if I can lay the foundation of the earth, then surely I can lay the foundation of your life. He said, he said, I, he said can you lead the constellation out in their seasons? The, 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 the implication is, Lord, Job, if I can bring a hundred billion stars forth in their due seasons, don't you believe? Don't you know I can bring your redemption forth? Don't you know I can bring your deliverance forth? Don't you know I can bring your blessing forth in due season, it was good news to Job when he realized that God was operating way above his pay grade. My goodness. And, I, and you notice, God never explained to Job exactly what he was doing in Job's life. But Job still repented and put his, his hand over his mouth and said, I heard about you with my ears and now I've seen you with my eyes. Oh Lord, have mercy. Job realized I'm playing checkers, but God is playing chess. God has got this well under 
under control. And that was good news for Job. That was enough for him to pray. That was enough for him to repent. That was enough to him to be satisfied knowing even though I can't figure out, God has already got it worked out. And that's good news for you today, beloved. That's good news for you today, beloved, that God is much smarter than we are. That God has got a plan at work over our situation that we wouldn't believe it if he told us. And so we can never afford to judge our situation based on the finite confines of our own imagination. Ephesians 3.20 says it this way. It says, God is able to do exceedingly, abundantly, beyond what we can imagine or think. Listen, I love this part. According to the power at work within us. I love that last part that says within us. It'd be one thing if you said God can do exceedingly, abundantly, beyond what we can imagine or think out there with somebody else's life. Out there in some other galaxy, in some other part of the universe, but, but, but it brings it right here into my living room. It says, ha ha, God has taken all that abundant power, all that incomprehensible might, and God is using it at work in your life. God is doing more in your life than you could ever comprehend. In your life. In your life. One translation of Psalm 139 says, his thoughts about me are more vast than the sand by the seashore. Now, according to the latest geological studies, that's 7.5 sextillion grains of sand. Now, I know some of y'all ain't never heard that word sextillion before. Lord have mercy, the pastor. And come on. <laughs> y'all get y'all minds out the gutter. We in church today, okay? That's 75 followed by 17 zeros. That's how many plans God has got working for you, for your good, through time, through circumstances, through history, to bring you to God's redemptive purpose. I, I heard one preacher say, while you're worrying, God is still working. While you're worrying, God is still working. I want you to notice, I love this part. It says, that it, says, it says whether the man was awake or asleep, he, he, he rose at night and in the day. I love it that Jesus put the fact that this man rose at night. Because you know what that means? If you get up at night, that means you're worried. Lord have mercy. This man, I love it. It says he rose, whether he rose at night or at day. It started at night. That means this man started out worried. This, this man scattered his seed and couldn't get to sleep. Rose at night. And I love it that the seed was still working whether he worried or whether he didn't worry. The seed was still sprouting and growing all the time beneath the surface. So you might as well not worry because God is working it out. You know, God's ability to work beyond our imagination is seen most clearly at the cross and in the resurrection. You say, even though the scriptures declared that the Messiah would be despised and rejected, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief, the apostles could not fathom how God could bring salvation through suffering. Even though Jesus predicted it. You notice how Jesus said over and over again that, that, that he was going to be betrayed and, and that he was going to suffer many things. But the apostles constantly doubted it. Because their minds could not fathom how God could bring about good through the crucifixion of the Messiah. 
But on the other side of the resurrection, as they look back on these events, they realized that even in their darkest hour, God was still at work. Even when it looked like all was lost, God was still at work. Even when they were hurt and afraid, God was still at work. Even when they were confused and didn't know what to do, God was still at work. Even though they scattered and, and, and they were doubtful and, and they gave up on the movement, God was still at work. Even when their master was suspended between heaven and on earth and he gave up the ghost, God was still at work. Even though they tried to bury him in a, they buried him in a borrowed tomb and, and they put a seal on it and they thought they were done with Jesus of Nazareth, God was still at work. No matter what you are going through, God is still at work. If you belong to the Lord today, if you have faith in Christ today, if you've been claimed by the word today, if you're a part of God's kingdom today, God is still at work. You need to know that today. I mean, I, 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 listen, these are not just platitudes. I want to talk to some folk that's showing up going through something. Not just, hey, look, not just big things. Maybe you're going through something big, but even if you're just going through the mundane difficulties of life, I want you to know God is still at work. Even when you had a bad parenting day, God is still at work. Come on, somebody. <laughs> even if you're having struggles in your relationship, God is still at work. Even if you feel lonely and nobody understands, God is still at work. Even if you've got chronic pain in your body and some strange diagnosis, God is still at work. You need to know that today. And no matter how impossible it may seem, God is still at work. One author said it this way. One author said the very situations we wish were the most different are the very situations in which God is working most deeply. The very, I'm going to say that again. The very situations we wish were most different are the very situations in which God is working most deeply. And so, beloved, in hard times, God grows us up mysteriously. But also, here's, our, here's my next point. In hard, in hard times, God grows us up divinely by his power, not by our power. Look at what it says in verse 8. The earth produces... By itself, careful to tell us that the, the farmer, the man that scattered the seed, he's not the one that made this thing grow up. The Greek word the text uses automate from where we get the word automatic. This means self-prompted or acting without outside instigation. The point is that the farmer does not have the power to bring life forth or to sustain life or to mature life. And beloved, we don't have the power to fulfill God's promises either. We don't have the power to bring forth life either. We, hey, hey, and that's why, he, that's why the saints in the black church have always believed in the God that can make a way out of no way. Listen, if we're going to be saved at all, God has got to do all the saving. Hey, oh man, I thought, I thought in a Presbyterian church, I would have got five amens on that one. About the sovereignty of God and salvation. Man, y'all should be singing the hallelujah chorus on that one. In hard times and in good times, God is our strength. God is our all in all. 
Abraham and Sarah, listen, beloved, God, listen, God had promised them a child and God waited to way beyond their childbearing years. Way beyond their childbearing years. And they was, they was old when God made the promise and then God waited longer. He waited till this situation was sure enough dead. He waited till there was no, nobody could say, well, maybe, maybe, maybe. No, no, no. This was, a, this was a womb that was dead. This was a brother that was dead. All the equipment was no longer working. I, I mean, this is way past the expiration date. And God waited that long so that when he gave this child, when he brought forth this promise, they would realize that salvation belongs to the Lord. That, that when we are saved, God did all the saving. That's one of the great lessons again of the cross is that salvation belongs to the Lord. Because y'all remember that great uh, prophecy said that, 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 that uh, I will strike the shepherd and the sheep will scatter. The apostles fell asleep in the garden of Gethsemane. In the moment of truth. When it all came down, they scattered and ran home and shut themselves away and fled from the scene. The women, they wanted to follow Jesus, but they were socially weak. They were only able to stand at a distance and watch helplessly as their master was crucified. Listen, because Jesus was the one that was going to do all the saving. If we're going to be saved, it's Jesus all by himself doing the saving. And he takes upon himself the complete responsibility for your salvation and my salvation and that's good news y'all that's good news that Jesus is the one that puts this salvation puts your salvation puts your future puts your hope on his shoulders alone and we put effort in but from top to bottom this thing is powered by God you know Every morning I, I drop my daughter off. My daughter's a senior in high school and drop her off. And, and when I drop her off, I, I, I get a little bit of nostalgia because I see another dad who's dropping his daughter off at elementary school. Actually, it was even, even a, a really preschool is where he's dropping his, his daughter off. And, and she's probably about five years old. And they come in riding on what's called a tag along bike. Have y'all ever seen one of these tag along bikes? Yeah, I love these tag along. I mean, I, I never had one. I never used one with, with my daughter, but boy, I wish I had. They say it looked like so much fun. And, and, and she's sitting on the back. She's about five years old, and she's got her helmet on, and she's looking so intense. I mean, boy, her little legs are just going. Her little legs are just going, 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 going. And, 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 and the thing about a tag along bike is that although the person in the back actually goes through the motions, the balance and the strength and the uh, ability to get to your destination actually comes from the father. It actually comes from the parent. It actually comes from the person that's sitting in the front and pedaling in the front. And that's how it is with our salvation, beloved. You going through the motions, you praying, you're doing the right thing. You love and you forgive and hopefully you are. You, 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 you in this Christian life, but the strength of your life and the balance of your life and the direction of your life and the certainty of your life, the fact that this is going to be a successful journey, don't come from you. It comes from the one that's in front of you. Mm, don't come from you. It comes from the Father. It comes from the Son. Salvation belongs from the Lord. Listen, the Lord is the strength of your life. 
And as long as he's doing the peddling, as long as he's providing the strength, then you know you sure enough going to get there. You sure enough going to get there. I, I love that song by the late James Cleveland that said, God is the joy and the strength of my life. He removes all pain, misery, and strife. He promised to keep me, never to leave me, and never ever come short of his word. It goes on and say, it finally says, listen, God is my all and all. The hope I hope today, beloved, is that God is our all in all. If you find yourself at the end of your rope, if you find yourself weak and, and, and suffering, I'm so and struggling and say, I don't know how I'm going to go all the well, you're in the exact right position for Jesus to show himself powerful. For he said to the apostle Paul, my grace is sufficient for you, for my strength is made perfect. Not when you're strong. My strength is made perfect. Not when you got it all together. My strength is made perfect. Not when you know where you're going to go. My strength is made perfect not when you got some money in your pocket my strength is made perfect not when your relationships are coming together but my strength is made perfect in your weakness he's the one beloved who is able to give you strength when all strength seems to be gone. And if God is your strength that means you've got an inexhaustible supply Lord have mercy. He said, but I don't understand. I, I, don't, I don't feel a whole lot of strength right now. It's not about how much strength is in you in any particular moment. It's about how much strength you connected to. Oh. And as long as you still connected to the inexhaustible supply, no matter what comes along, God is able to give you some more strength and some more strength and some more strength and some more strength. And God will be your all in all. And growth is also, listen, beloved, a matter of praise. It's a matter of praise. Listen, beloved, if you got a sprout in your life, you better praise God. If you got a blade in your life, I, I'm not talking about the full grain of, of ear, ear, ear yet, but I'm, I'm talking about this sprite of, sprout of sanctification. Some of, some of us are kind of far along the journey in this Christian life, but some of us say, oh my goodness, some days just look like a little sprout. This just look like, hey, I just thank the Lord. But hey, but if you got a sprout, if you got some sanctification, you ought to praise the Lord because you didn't give it to yourself. The Lord, our God, in his mercies and in his grace is the one that made life sprout up in your life. He's the one that gave you the growth and the progress in the Christian life. And if you can say today, I'm not what I'm going to be, but thank God I'm not what I used to be. You ought to be able to praise the Lord today. Oh my goodness. I, I, I look back on my life and I remember in certain seasons of life how I would have responded to certain situations mm. in my flesh and in my attitude and, and, and with my own uh, worldly perspective but the Lord has brought me from a mighty long way oh my goodness and I find myself loving where before I used to would hate I find myself believing where before I used to would doubt I find myself with some patience where before I used to would cut somebody off Lord and I thank the Lord 
for every bit of sanctification and you ought to thank the Lord too. If you look at your life and you say, my goodness, I can see where the Lord has brought me. You ought to give God some praise because you didn't give that to yourself. The Lord our God gave it to you. He gives us a new walk and a new talk and a new perspective. And it didn't have to be that way. It did not have to be that way. Jesus didn't have to sanctify you. He didn't have to grow you. He didn't have to redeem you. But God has been good to us. He's made a way for us. He's been faithful to us. He sent a whole church around us. He's given us the gospel over and over again. The fact that you're sitting up in here in the church, in this church house today, if you're trusting in Christ today, if you're giving him some praise today, if you're giving him some thanks today, that ain't because you decided, baby, that you wanted to come in today. That's because the Lord woke you up this morning and started you on your way and gave you a reasonable portion of health and strength and put himself on your mind and put himself in your heart and brought you in here to give him some praise. So let's give him the glory. Finally, in hard times, God grows us up fruitfully, fruitfully. I want you to look at this picture here in this parable of fruitfulness, consistent growth until the place where it actually gives forth the intended fruit. First the blade, then the ear, then the full grain in the ear. I think this is amazing, the fact that this parable, its first audience was an audience that was suffering. And, and we see this picture of fruitfulness in the face of suffering. Because normally when hard times come, we just trying to hang on. We just trying to cope. You say, Lord, if I can just stay a Christian in this situation. Amen, somebody. If I can just keep from giving up in this situation, then I'm going to be all right. But, but, but I love it that Jesus, listen, listen, Jesus is not just a, Jesus is not just pulling out a bunt. Jesus is not just pulling out a single. Jesus is not just putting out a double. Come on, baseball fan. Jesus is swinging for the fences. Jesus is swinging for the, my good. Jesus, is, this, is a, this is a parabolic grand slam when Jesus said, not only are you going to just be able to cope, not only are you just going to be able to survive, I'm going to actually make you fruitful. I'm going to actually grow you up. I'm going to actually do more in your life than you could have imagined or thought in the midst of suffering. This is a, this is a redemptive grand slam right here. Jesus is promising full growth and maturity and fruitfulness. And I know that sounds antithetical. But Jesus shows himself strongest when we find ourselves the weakest. Johnny Erickson Tata, you all may have heard of her name, has had a lifelong suffering situation that has not changed. On July 30th, 1967, when she was 17 years old, she dove into the Chesapeake Bay after misjudging the shallowness of the water. She had a fracture between the fourth and fifth cervical vertebrae and became paralyzed from the shoulders down and has been confined to a wheelchair ever since. During Tyler's two years of rehabilitation, according to her autobiography, she experienced anger, depression, suicidal thoughts, and religious doubts. 
But over time, she realized that the Lord had never left her side and was with her in a special way through this situation. And in her little booklet entitled Hope, John Erickson Tata, this woman who has been confined to a wheelchair for almost her entire life, imagines a conversation with Jesus in heaven about her wheelchair. And, and in that little booklet, she says she said she could see the Lord in her imagination and standing beside him with her new glorified body and on grateful glorified legs. She said, I imagine saying to him, Jesus, do you see that wheelchair? You were right when you said that in this world we would have trouble because that thing has been a whole lot of trouble. She said, but the weaker I was in that thing the harder I leaned on you. And the harder I leaned on you, the stronger I discovered you to be. And it never would have happened had you not given me the bruising of the blessing of that wheelchair. And so in Christ, in every place of pain, it's also a place of purpose. <clears throat> in Christ, every place of hardship is also a place of his holiness. In Christ, whenever you find yourself down, Jesus will get down with you in order to grow you up. And when the heat turns up in our life, God will not let the heat break us or destroy us or ruin us. He will use the heat of adversity to refine us in hardships. God can purge you of your self-reliance and teach you dependence on God and others. Listen, in hardships, God can purge you of your insensitivity and teach you some empathy and some compassion toward other sufferers. In hardships, God has a way of purging us of ingratitude and teaching us to thank him for every breath, every little thing that we so easily take for granted. Lord, have mercy. Listen, I didn't, I didn't know what a blessing it was to feel good until I had some seasons where I felt bad. Oh my goodness, my goodness. I just came out last year of a, of a, of a, of a season of surgery. I had never had surgery in my entire life until last year when suddenly I had to have two surgeries. And as I laid up with two surgeries, laid up in that bed, unable to walk, unable to really move my arm too much, I said, and when I finally got on the other side, I said, Lord, thank you for the ability to walk around. Lord, thank you for the ability to move my arm. Lord, thank you for the ability to do all the things I had taken for granted. And somehow it was the season of suffering that plunged me down into a season of gratitude and joy. The more gratitude, the more joy. So when you find yourself going through situations, could it be that God is not just setting you up for sorrow, but God is setting you up for joy on the other side? Ain't that good news, y'all? Ain't that good news, y'all? Jesus is able through situations to purge us of wavering faith and teach us that he can be trusted in every situation. And so, beloved, we can trust Jesus with our tears because we know that even in tears, we are in his refining process and that he is growing us up to be more like him. Ain't that good news? Good news indeed. Father, we thank you for your mercy, for your kindness, for your love, for your faithfulness that grows us up in every situation. We praise you and thank you, Lord, because you have been better to us than we realize. 
and certainly better than we deserve. In Jesus' name we pray that all of God's people say, Amen. Let's